Again, good morning to everyone, and good morning to those who are joining us online this morning. Uh, as I mentioned uh, in our uh, family business at the beginning, we were kind of unsure if uh, Pastor Greg was going to be able to be here this Sunday, and so as we kind of came to the end of the week and we're, we're kind of sus- suspicious, it was conf- as I said, it was confirmed on Friday, so we're like, okay, we're going to pinch hit, and when we were kind of figuring out what to do. God had burdened my heart. Um, we, uh, I have the privilege this school year of preaching to the secondary um, chapel uh, three times, and so God had kind of, kind of put it in my heart and said, boy, it would be neat to go through a book of the Bible um, with them. And so uh, our, our study this morning is the first part of that study. And as I asked them, and I asked in the family happenings this week, I want to ask you, do you know anyone who's a jerk? I'm kind of guessing maybe a few names come to your mind. When you think of them, you probably think of someone who is self-focused, talks about him or herself an awful lot, might be a little difficult to get a word in edgewise when you're with them. And you may get the sense that he or she doesn't really care about others. And you probably don't necessarily like being around them. When you see them come in the door to the multipurpose room, you suddenly find another exit, even if it's a window, right? It's like, yeah, I just, I just don't have it in me today to deal with that, right? As I've studied various characters in the Bible, one guy has really jumped out to me as, all I can say, I'm sorry, he's a jerk, as you get to know him. As you follow his story, you find him being self-absorbed, bigoted toward others, and prone to tantrums worthy of a two-year-old. Ever had one of those in your life? And he's a prophet of God. Someone who has heard God's voice, received a message directly from him. If anyone knows what God is like and should be like him, it is this prophet. He had experienced God's compassion firsthand. But when he received a message from God that he didn't like, he did what I often do. He went the opposite way. And you know, that's something to ask ourselves as we kind of begin our study this morning. What do you do when God tells you something that you don't like? As a disciple of Jesus, when He points out a sin or an area in your life where you're not being like Christ, what do you do? Maybe you've never put your trust in Christ, and when God lovingly tells you you're a sinner and deserve judgment, what do you do? Do you try to obey what He says, or do you run away? Well, this prophet was a master at running away. And if you didn't guess it from the Scripture reading, or you didn't uh, see the family happenings, you probably already know who I'm talking about. That is the prophet Jonah. 
Turn with me, please, to the book of Jonah, that book that's all about him. <laughs> at least that's how he would have described it at the beginning. Jonah chapter 1. As you turn there, the first thing to realize about this book is that Jonah is one of two main characters. When you look through, you find two characters named. One, of course, is Jonah. The other one is God himself. Personal names. We see them right at the beginning of the book. Look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Of course, Jonah is named there. But you notice it says, the word of the Lord. Many translations will show Lord there as a large capital L and then a small capital O-R-D, indicating Yahweh, Jehovah, God's personal name. He's the other main character here. And we see these two characters identified, and we also see their nature, the, the nature of these two characters right at the very beginning. Because you see Jonah named. His name means dove. In the Old Testament, a dove was often used to illustrate the silliness, the selfishness of the people of Israel in regard to their relationship with God. But he's described as Jonah, the son of Amittai. That's mean, the meaning of that is son of my faithfulness. Well, whose faithfulness? When you go through the book, you see over and over again God being faithful to Jonah, God being faithful to several unnamed people. Gives you a sense of the two roles that these characters play in this story. And you know, seeing that is a comfort to me right at the very beginning. Because how many times in my life do I act silly, selfish, when it comes to issues, choices, things that God allows to come my way. I act silly and self-focused, but He is always faithful. Faithful to pursue me, faithful to bring me back to the place where I should be. Jonah knew this firsthand from his own history. Jonah was a prophet. He was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. In uh, in Israel's history, there was the United Kingdom under King David and King Solomon, 12 tribes all under one king. But then after Solomon died, his son, Rehoboam, came to those 12 tribes and said, I am going to be more severe than even Solomon was. I'm going to work you harder. I'm going to tax you more. You can imagine that's not a very popular platform, okay? And the, the, the nation split. Ten tribes followed a former servant of Solomon's, Jeroboam, and they established the northern kingdom. Often we will use the term Israel for them in the divided kingdom. Two tribes remained faithful to the, the uh, kingly line. They established the southern kingdom. We call them Judah. You'll see them referred to that way. The northern kingdom set up its own false worship. These were the two golden calves. One was kind of near the northern border, and one was near the southern border, just to catch the worshipers before they got to Jerusalem, right? 
And because of that sin, setting up those false idols, the northern kingdom quickly went away from God. They quickly turned to sin in, in many ways. And they deserved God's judgment because of that sin. But notice the message that Jonah got to, deserve, got to deliver to them. This was a time when, they, when the northern kingdom was oppressed. They were suffering, all because of their own choices. But notice what 2 Kings chapter 14 says. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, that's the southern kingdom, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, northern kingdom, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that's the first king who established the northern kingdom, who had made Israel sin. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. And the Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash." Follow what's going, along here, going on here. The northern kingdom was suffering because of their own sin. But God was gracious and kind, and he gave Jonah a message saying, you're going to be restored. And he used an evil king to bring them peace, to, to expand their borders. Jonah got to deliver that message. I bet you he was a pretty popular guy, right? What a great message. God's mercy, God's kindness, even when it was not deserved. Jonah knew that was God's character. Why, he even notes it in the book of Jonah as why he ran away. Look at Jonah chapter 4. This now is after Jonah finally goes to Nineveh. He delivers God's message. The people of Nineveh, Nineveh repent. And Jonah's sitting outside the city. He wants to see the fireworks show because that judgment's going to come. Well, God turns from that judgment because of the repentance of the people. And notice what Jonah says. So Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. What a terrible God. That's why he ran. Jonah knew God's character to forgive. And so as we follow Jonah in Jonah chapter 1, we find that he exemplifies four signs that you're running away from God. Four signs that you're probably running away from God if, first off, you're not doing what God has clearly told you to do. Notice Jonah 1, 1 through 3. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. 
But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, follow the story. What did God tell Jonah to do? Go to Nineveh. Cry out against it. Instead, what does Jonah do? He goes the opposite way. Literally, the opposite way. The uh, red uh, pointer wouldn't work this morning, so um, I'll kind of try to be slow. The God, of course, tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, up here. Jonah was from down here. This is the northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. God tells him to go this way. Jonah goes down to Joppa. He gets into a ship, goes down into the ship, and then he heads toward Tarshish, which, as best as we can tell, is somewhere western Mediterranean. The exact opposite way. Why would he do that? Well, as you see here, Nineveh appears next to this really big, bold word, Assyria. Nineveh was the capital city of the nation of Assyria, and the Assyrians were a brutal, military-minded people. When they conquered you, it was devastating. They were brutal in how they treated the people that they conquered. It is quite possible that Jonah knew that God had foretold that one day Assyria would take the northern kingdom captive, Jonah's people. Jonah was a contemporary of other prophets who prophesied Assyria would one day conquer Israel, the northern kingdom. And whether or not Jonah knew that, Jonah definitely knew that God was forgiving And he didn't want Nineveh to be spared God's judgment. You see that very clearly at the end of the book. And so if there was a chance that God would be kind, Jonah wasn't going to give it. He wasn't going to allow for it. But did you notice in the verses that we read, what did Jonah run away from? It's mentioned twice in verse 3, for the emphasis, to to draw our focus there. Verse 3, it says, Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The end of the verse, to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, of course, ask yourself, where does God exist? We would understand from Scripture that God exists from everywhere. We use the term omnipresent, right? He is everywhere present. So Jonah's trying to run away from the one true living God who is everywhere. Does this sound like a really well-thought-out plan to you? (laughs) He's being silly. He's being selfish, right? But notice what Jonah's doing. Jonah was not honoring God as the one who is over everyone and everything. He was reacting to God the way that the various nations would have treated their false gods. Because they would have viewed a a false god as, well, they've got power over this mountain, or in this valley, or maybe this region of land, or the sea, right? That's kind of the mindset of that day. Jonah was treating God that way. He wasn't responding to God as the sovereign Lord of everything. 
And that's a moment for us to pause. How do you, how do I respond to God when He clearly tells us to do something? Do we respond as the sovereign Lord over our lives, or do we respond, well, yeah, He's got, okay, yeah, God, you can tell me kind of how I should work and, you know, on a Sunday, but, you know, the rest of the time, eh, you've got your corner and I've got my rest of my life. Do we treat him the same way that Jonah was treating him? When God calls you or I to forgive someone for something they said or something they did, do we follow him or do we hold on to that resentment? When he calls us to be honest at work, you know, it's so many people are still working from home. It's really easy to have Netflix going on the second screen where you're binge-watching that new show that you just found, and, you know, you'll occasionally answer an email, and you turn your camera on once or twice for the meeting, but you're not really focused the way that you should be. You're not giving your time and energy the way that God would call us to. In your responses, are you honoring God as being over your life? Or are you running from him like Jonah was? Well, you're probably running away from God if you don't do what God clearly tells you to. But a second sign that you're running away from God is you don't care how your choices affect others. Notice verses 4 through 6, Jonah chapter 1. It says, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Again, Following the account, God sends a terrible storm. Not because he's ticked off at Jonah, but because he is faithfully pursuing Jonah to bring him back to the place where Jonah needs to be. You know, have you ever been uh, maybe out at the seacoast when a hurricane's coming? Um, I've never been out there at that time, but I remember remember seeing a, a, a video one time of uh, Jim Cantori from the Weather Channel. He went to a, a, a wind tunnel, and they had him all strapped in, and he was going to experience Category 5 winds, Category 5 hurricane winds. So he's all lashed in so he doesn't go flying and hit the back of the wind tunnel. And as they dial it up, he, he has a shaved head, and the skin on his scalp was rippling from the force of the wind. That intense That's the picture that I get here when I read this. Because notice what these sailors were doing. Verse uh, verse 5, first off, they were afraid. These were guys who knew the sea. (laughs) They were afraid. They cried out to their false gods, and they threw their livelihood overboard. Now realize what they were doing. If they survived this thing and they got back to port... They weren't getting a paycheck, and they were going to answer to the owners of that ship as to why (laughs) they chucked it overboard. Now, 
tells you how desperate this was. They were responsible for this. They're just trying to survive. But compare that to what Jonah's doing. What's the prophet of God doing? He went down into the lower parts of the ship. He's taking a nap as the ship is being chucked from side to side and up and down. I mean, how do you sleep through that? You know, my kids wrestle in their bed and I, whoo, I wake up, right? How do you sleep through that? God's showing us something here about Jonah. Why were the sailors going to such drastic measures? Well, they wanted to live. I would have been right there next to them. They cared about each other. They wanted to see their families again. Why wasn't Jonah? Because he didn't care. It's emphasized by the captain in verse 6. He comes to him and he says to Jonah, What do you mean, sleeper? Why aren't you up? Why aren't you at least helping to keep the ship together? And, okay, maybe you don't want to do that, but arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Call out for some help at least, please. Why are you acting this way? And of anybody on that ship, Jonah knew the one true living God who could do something. But he didn't care enough for those sailors to call out to him. Again, a moment to pause and ask ourselves, do you show care for others with the choices that you make? How it impacts your spouse or your kids? How it impacts your coworkers when you cut those corners? Or even your church family? It's very easy to become self-focused and selfish and say, that's not the thing that I like, that's not the way I think it should go, so I'm going to... And we don't really consider how our choices impact others. And that can indicate whether you're trying to walk with God or if you're running from His love for you. As believers, He calls us to consider each other. You're probably running away from God if you don't care about how your choices affect others. But a third example, a third sign that Jonah gives to us is you're probably running away from God if what you do doesn't line up with what you say. Look at verses 7 through 10. And the sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us. For whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made this sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Again, get the picture in your mind of what's going on. The sailors cast lots, kind of like throwing dice, 
to find out whose fault this whole storm was. Now, for us today, we would view that as suspicious, leaving things to chance. But for that day, for those people, they would have identified and said, well, a deity will help direct that casting of the lots so that it will help to determine the deity's will. There were even times in Israel's history where God directed them to cast lots. Now, as an aside, let me just note here, casting lots is never a way that God directs a believer to determine his will today, right? So it's not, let's see, should I buy the million-dollar, 6,000-square-foot house or the condo? Come on, Lord, right? That's not what he calls us to. He calls disciples of Christ to use his word, use godly wisdom, godly counsel from other believers, seeking him in prayer. And wisely responding to circumstances. For example, if you make $40,000 a year, I can guarantee you it is not God's will for you to buy the million-dollar, 6,000-square-foot house. It's just unwise. It's not the right use of money, right? That's what God calls us to as believers. But here, for Jonah, these sailors cast lots, and it just happened to fall on Jonah. Oh, dumb luck. Of course not. We've seen God involved in this all the way. He's faithfully pursuing Jonah, and so he takes those lots and he points the finger right at his own prophet. So the sailors ask him, what's your occupation? Where are you from? What people are you? And did you notice how Jonah described himself in verse 9? He says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Now, first off, identifying himself as a Hebrew would have given a direct connection to Jehovah, the history of Israel, where God delivers them from Egypt, where he parts the Red Sea, where he parts the Jordan River, conquers Jericho. And he says, I fear the Lord. Now, if you were a sailor on that ship, you've lost your lunch for the third time already, and you're about ready to lose your life, wouldn't you kind of be like, really? <laughs> you fear Jehovah? You haven't even called out to him once in this whole thing. You were down in the bottom of the boat sleeping. Seriously? I kind of have a hard time believing you. But also notice how Jonah describes God here. He says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, realize how Jonah is describing him. He is the God of heaven. He resides in heaven. To them, in their, in their worldview at that time, heaven was everything that way. Okay? Sky, sun, moon, stars, everything. Okay? That's where he is. And what did he make? The sea and the dry land. Okay? What's Jonah doing? He told him, well, I'm running away from the presence of the Lord. So wait, you're running away from the God who resides in everything up here and who made the sea and the dry land. You're in a boat on the sea, running away from the God who exists in the heavens, who you're, you're trying to get to land. We left land. Seriously? This is a no-win scenario. What are you trying to do? That's why 
the way that I envision this, if this was a movie, right, it's where the camera pauses on one of the, the sailors, zooms in, and he's like, we're dead. There's no place to run, right? Think about it. That's why the sailors respond the way they do in verse 10. The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? We wouldn't even do this. (laughs) Silly, sinful, selfish. There's no way that you can get away from this God. What Jonah claimed didn't line up with what he was actually doing. And folks, you can claim to be a follower of Christ, and I'm not calling your relationship with Him into question this morning, but if you claim to be a follower of Christ, does that line up with how you treat people online, what you post, what you say, whether it's a person you know or a politician you hate? Would Jesus Christ say that about them? Would Jesus Christ wish that upon them? Does it line up with how honest you are with your business dealings or with people who come and work on your house? Does it line up with how you respond to someone who is being marginalized or mocked, even if you don't like their political opinion or their persuasion? Would Jesus respond that way to that person? Jonah's responses didn't line up with what he said, what he claimed, because he wasn't walking with God. And it can be an indicator to us about whether we are walking with Him. You're probably running away from God if what you do doesn't line up with what you say, And then fourth, you're probably running away from God if an unbeliever acts more righteous than you do. Look at verses 11 through 16. Then the sailors said to Jonah, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, The men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging." Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. What does Jonah tell the sailors to do to him? Throw me overboard. This storm's because of me. It'll be done as soon as I'm out of the picture. But take a step back for a moment. What is Jonah actually proposing? He is instructing these men to put him in a position where he's going to die. Jonah was proposing his own suicide. He was so set on resisting God. On not delivering God's message, he was willing to end his life. This was a 
no, God, I am putting my hand in your face. I am not going to do what you have clearly told me to do. But even in that moment, God was faithfully pursuing a rebellious prophet because he cared about that prophet. Say, well, how do you know, Dave? That's a nice thought, but but really? Well, look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. It's the one verse that I specifically asked the readers not to read. It says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God knew that Jonah was going to run the other way. God knew that he was going to propose this. And so God had prepared a fish to pursue after him. Now, don't miss that. He prepared a great fish. It takes a while to prepare a fish, especially a great fish. God faithfully wants despairing people to come to him. He's not disgusted or angered by struggles that lead people to points of despair, who lead people to points of confusion, even if they are considering suicide. He doesn't get fed up. He's not frustrated and say, you know, I'm just done with this. Deal with your own problems. That's not him. He welcomes that person. He wants to help that person. And you know what? Struggling with an issue, being overwhelmed with an issue, Jonah was in a worse place than that. Because Jonah wasn't struggling with an issue. Jonah was just saying, no, God. I'm going to disobey. I'm not going to do what you've clearly told me to do. That, Jonah was in a worse place than the person who is struggling and overwhelmed. God welcomes that person just like he, would, he was pursuing and welcoming Jonah. Notice what God himself says, Jesus, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's not talking about a hard job. He's talking about where life is overwhelming. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice also God's heart in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. If you're here today and you are struggling, God's heart is not being fed up with you. He's not frustrated. He's not sick and tired of the issue and just get over it. He is faithful to you. And he will be faithful to you in that struggle. He's not a God who cuts and runs even when we struggle. We see that in Jonah. We see that exemplified for us in what we celebrate with all the lights, with the trees, in Jesus Christ. Because as a people, 
humanity. We were running from God. He was faithful to us. He came and made a way so that we could have access to him. Well, Jonah says, throw me overboard. What do the sailors do? Verse 13, the men rode hard to return to land. They tried to save Jonah's life. And when the storm grew stronger so that they couldn't get to land, no possible way, notice they cry out to Jehovah. They use God's personal name, something that Jonah never did in chapter 1. He never called out to Jehovah. He talked about him. He never called out to him. Notice what the sailors say in uh, verse 14. They cried out to Jehovah and said, We pray, O Jehovah, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Jehovah, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared Jehovah exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to Jehovah and took vows to Jehovah. Notice, who was trying to do right and save life? Those sailors who did not know God, not his prophet. And who actually responded the right way to God? Those sailors, not his prophet. And we need to remember that it is not that unbelievers can't show mercy or do good things, but when they do them and we as Christians don't, it reveals a problem in our relationship with God. As we study through Jonah chapter 1 together, pause and ask yourself, would you say that you're seeking to live the way that God wants you to? Or are there areas of your life that look more like you're running away from Him? Do you look like Jonah, focused on yourself, what you want, and not really caring about others? Or do you look like those sailors, learning more about who God is and responding to Him in ways that change you. It might be, as a believer, as a disciple of Jesus, it might be in some specific area of your life where He says that attitude, that response, that way that you're handling it, that's not like Christ. Will you respond to Him, or are you going to run from Him? Keep Him in His corner. It might be that you are here this morning and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. When God tells you lovingly, because He's pursuing you, He's not ticked off at you, but when He lovingly says, you are a sinner and that your sin deserves the punishment, the judgment of hell, but that Jesus Christ, Christmas time, Jesus Christ, God Himself came, died on the cross to pay the punishment for your sins, and He rose from the grave to show that He did. 
Will you turn from everything that you've been trying and trusting in, making yourself better through church, just making yourself better as a person in general, or maybe I just don't even care about that. (laughs) Will you turn from that and turn to Jesus and say, I believe that he died for me. He paid my punishment. God, will you please forgive me because of what Jesus did? God says that if you will do that, you will be saved. That's an assurance from him. Are you responding to him or running away from him? No matter where you find yourself this morning, let me leave you with this encouraging truth. It stings a little bit when you first read it, but read the whole thing. Even when we are running away like disobedient, selfish hypocrites, God faithfully pursues after us. He is a God of mercy, of forgiveness, like Jonah said when he was throwing his tantrum. I knew you'd forgive them. Yeah! (laughs) Thank the Lord that he would, or I would not be standing here today. Right? It's because of who he is in light of who we are. He faithfully pursues after us. Respond to him as he pursues you. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who pursues us, that you are a God who is faithful to us even when we make choices that would not be Christ-like, would not what you would want for our lives. But even then, when we make those choices, you do not abandon us. I pray this morning for, for believers who are here, that as you point out areas in our life where we're not like Christ, our responses aren't like Jesus, that we would respond, confess our sin, and come back to the place where you want us to be and to respond like Jesus would. For folks who are here who have never put their trust in Jesus alone for salvation, I pray that today would be the day where they would say, you know what? I'm just going to trust what God says. I'm going to give up on what I'm doing, and I'm going to put my trust in what Jesus did for me. Thank you that you are a faithful, forgiving God who turns from disaster. We thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.